Welcome to Game & Watch with Aaron and James, the show where we talk about games we've been gaming and movies and TV shows we've been watching. Uh, I am Aaron. And I realized in editing these episodes that I have been matching your cadence. So you know what? I'm going with I'm James. Okay, that's fine. I thought you were going to say you, reali- you realized editing the show that you are James and that I, this is the, the final piece of self-actualization that you needed to hear. It is also that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so very profoundly, you are James. Yes. Um, and today uh, we're talking about a game we both greatly enjoy, uh, a game we both experienced in childhood. Uh, the Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. He uh, He's a sleepy boy. He's a sleepy boy. I actually thought you were about to say that we um, experienced it in childbirth. <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> that's all the rage in japan they have like hello kitty birthing rooms and the legend of zelda Link's awakening themed ones yep yeah this is a fun game i've complicated (laughs) feelings about it i'm this sounds more dour uh than it actually is but um i i I found when i go through some of these games with you that i when we do these episodes that i i i'm forced to confront my true feelings uh, yeah, I've had kind of uh, the same thing, but this is kind of the, one of the first times uh, thinking about a game um, that I was actually pleasantly surprised by the memory. Well, not that I wasn't pleasantly surprised. We'll get into it. Yeah, um, yeah Link's Awakening. Uh, this game was first released for the Game Boy in 1993. Uh, there are two subsequent versions of the game that were released. Uh, one was Link's Awakening DX, which was kind of one of the selling points of the Game Boy Color, um, really taking a beloved Game Boy game and releasing it in color. Uh, it was released in 1998. And then much later, you know, 21 years later, we got a, uh, a remake for the Nintendo Switch, which it was what I played. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I played both the GBC and the Switch. Um, I probably played the GBC, GBC version more, like in terms of hours, mm-hmm. but definitely the Switch uh, most recently. I would say definitely the same. I, I played the original Game Boy 1 right before the Game Boy Color came out. And then I was yeah. like, why would I not get this other one? I only played the Game Boy Color one, um, but I know I played it multiple times to completion. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the these games um, were released, or again, we'll, as we'll start with the game in general, and we can starting with the first one was released in 1993 by Nintendo. Um, this was produced by the great Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, directed by Takashi Tezuka, who he directed Super Mario Brothers three, Link to the Past, many other Nintendo like early Nintendo games, especially. I think he's and um, uh, original Legend of Zelda, so original oh, yeah. and Link to the Past. So you know, pretty key guy for this series. Very, um, and yet this game did not. Kind of, it started as something different. It started as a side project, um, some kind of after hours side project among some Nintendo employees. They were originally trying to make a Game Boy port of a link to the past i believe and kind of started coming up with some interesting ideas that eventually they were like well why don't we just turn this into a a game boy game yeah and i mean it's kind of crazy uh to think about instead of porting the original legend of zelda they went straight to link to the past yeah um which is really ambitious for the just the regular old game boy 
Um, and you can definitely see that with the aesthetic. Um, we'll talk about that more when we get to kind of like art and direction. But yep. um, this definitely, you would you would think, you know, Zelda Project begins as kind of a side thing for the Game Boy. You would think they were trying to emulate uh, the original Legend of Zelda, but no, in fact, they were trying to emulate A Link to the Past. It kind of makes sense looking back that they would have started at a overly ambitious part and then just kind of worked back to really try to do the most they possibly could with the Game Boy as a system. Cause that's kind of what they did. Right. I mean, I not, I, I don't know the exact technical capabilities of the Game Boy and the Game Boy color, but porting the original Zelda seemed like it would be a lot more of an obvious choice um, and could be easily done. Um, and so link to the past kind of starting with those kinds of ideas, especially that aesthetic, and kind of scaling back to doing a more like Game Boy sized game. Um, it's pretty, pretty interesting. It's pretty cool that they, that they did that. And that this is what we got. Yeah. It also, every time I hear uh, stories about Japanese office and corporate culture, uh, it makes me very curious about it. Um, because as you said, this began as a side project. So off the clock, presumably. Yeah. Um, and they decided instead of, you know, raising families, uh, they would um, spend time <laughs> after work making this. Um, and like I hear the story, and I don't know how true this is, but of Japanese executives feeling pressured on weeknights to go out drinking until like 11 or midnight and then be at the office at like eight in the morning um, and just stuff like that, which seems kind of kooky. Um, but it seems like in that environment with a bunch of creative driven people, their side project would be an entire game that to this day is uh, talked about and celebrated. Yeah, and I, I think it wasn't until I took a bit more of a step back for the purposes of doing this episode that I really appreciated or just had a more profound reaction to some of the oddities of this game. Because there are many, many oddities. Yeah, and I think uh, like in a big way, this kind of set the, the precedent for the Zelda series to feature some really like wacky off the wall concepts and characters. Yeah. They, they got away with it here because it was kind of always meant to be like a side story sort of thing. Yep. Um, but I think that kind of DNA um, stayed with the series because kind of before this uh, link to the past, uh, you know, Zelda one and two, uh, you wouldn't get something like tingle. Um, I feel like tingle while not existing in this game would be very home in this game. Like this is a, tingle-esque uh zelda adventure i would that's very accurate it's got yeah it's, it's got big tingle energy big tingle energy it almost i actually i, I can't remember every single thing that ting, tingle related in the zelda series but man does this game break the fourth wall more than i remember yeah yeah it does it does it um it definitely feels like they're having fun with it um yeah. in terms of development Going along with the fact that this was kind of a side game and there's a lot of kind of weird stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot of the things that made it into the final game, um, so things like other from other Nintendo properties, so like Yoshi um, shows up, you know, Kirby kind of shows up as like an enemy. Um, you know, what is it? Uh, Malin or um, Marin's father, Talon. Yeah. Or Taron or whatever. Looks Big Mario, like Mario energy. Yeah, he does have big Mario energy. Um, and those are things that are in the game because they were kind of just goofing off and playing around and having fun. Um, but actually, you know, they were allowed to be in the game. Oh, also Chain Chomps, uh, yeah. you know, which are a huge Mario enemy. 
um, all of that kind of made its way into the game because it was created in kind of this avant-garde, you know, side project. There are even other char- like Nintendo properties where they borrow characters from. Like there's uh, the Dr. Wright is from SimCity. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Wright's in there. I, I didn't know well. that until, well, I probably looked it up ways back, but, I, you know, that's obviously not something I knew back when I first played this game. Um, but, it, you know, Hopping off of what's in this game, notably absent from this game. Um, what's it? What's absent from this game? Um, Tingle. Oh yes, end of uh, list. No, no fee. <laughs> no, uh, there's no. Um, what's her name? Zelda. Natty. Zelda. Oh, Zelda. <laughs> Zeldar. Zel- Zel- yeah. Zoldar. Yeah. There, there's no Zoldar. There's no Gandalorf. Um, there's Gun- no Gunkalorf is what yeah, uh, my, my brother there, would call There's, him. there's no triangle power, whatever that's called. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, or yeah, um, the 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 rhombus the big, the, of yeah, of, the big th- yeah, the of nobility. Of, yeah. Of force. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah. None of that's in the game, and also not in the game. Uh, Ganon, Zelda, and the Triforce. No, nowhere to be seen. This is a, a solo adventure for Link. It also makes me wonder, and in my research, I couldn't find it, but I wonder if that was uh, a decision made purposefully um, so that if this side project ever did get off the ground as a real game and it had to be repurposed as something non-Zelda, yeah, um, that could have been easily done. Because um, yep. nothing about like the geography or the landscape or really the resonance point to anything specifically Zelda. So avoiding also, there's really no central castle. Like there's no Hyrule castle. There's no, yep. none of the landmarks you would uh, expect. So that may be one of the reasons why I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. Um, a notable inspiration for this game. And this is something that I swear I would have known. Cause I've definitely looked up the history of a lot of my favorite games but I, I read it like it was the first time I ever heard it. And it's one of the things that is most fascinating to me about this game is that Twin Peaks, the David Lynch, some would say masterpiece of a TV show, was an inspiration for this game. And that to me is, on, is fascinating on multiple levels, not just the effect it might have had on this game, but just the idea that I, Twin Peaks was... I mean, we were too young to appreciate it at the time, but Twin Peaks was like a phenomenon. And the idea that it reached Japan, the Japan's best game developers is so incredibly awesome. And yeah, well, and I mean, even, I mean, there's a word for it, right? Lynchian. I mean, he just kind of spawned his own, um, you know, descriptor. And it is in some ways. Well, yeah, it is in some ways. This is one of those details that I remember hearing a long time ago and kind of forgot Mm -hmm. um, and thought, wow, that's cool. Um, And then having played through the remake recently um, and then reading this and kind of re-remembering, I really wish they leaned into this more, especially um, considering how the story turns out in the end. As I was doing this outline, um, I, I thought one of the particularly like Lynchian things is that you go into a pain phone and the payphone calls you yep. and a mysterious voice gives you advice on the other end, which I found extremely Lynchian. 
And then writing this outline, I was like, that's right. You never find out who the voice is. Who's the voice? That's so weird. And he, uh, and then, he would and never then, tell you if it was David Lynch directing this movie. He wouldn't well, even know the answer. He wouldn't know the answer. But I also found out writing the outline, uh, there is an answer to that. And it's really strange. Oh, there is. St- still not explained and weird, but there is an answer to who is the voice. But yeah, like that's very Lynchian. Um, obviously, the, the whole ending is Lynchian. But those are like kind of really the only two major things. And I really wish they had kind of played that up. I agree. And I think one of the main ways that they attempted to get that or that the inspiration manifested itself was that they wanted you to have the feeling of like being in a small town and getting to know all the residents. Um, And there's a kind of a surreal air around the whole game um, in the village too. And I, I, I gotta say, I don't, know that they totally succeeded in accomplishing that at least maybe to the degree that they wanted like it's it's subtle enough where i can't say it's like a there's a i would have even a guessed a profound twin peaks impact on this development of this game yeah i mean there are lots of little touches that i feel like um they could have added in the remaster um like i think the transition to a higher fidelity um could have afforded like opportunities to hint at kind of like the lynchian weirdness going on yeah like how cool would it be if there was like a little like gap in the world where like there was nothing there it was like an yep. empty void um or just like little weird like mindfuck things that they could have added that really wouldn't have made sense on the game boy or they wouldn't have been able to do it on the game boy with any like you yeah. know great fidelity but on the switch, definitely. Um, and they, they don't play it up. And even there's, there's a moment in this game where you kind of go in a dream within a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was expecting more out of that and nothing really comes of it. Yeah. I, maybe, honestly, if you just had a handful of characters that just stand there in empty fields or rooms that when you talk to them, they just spout these ridiculous non sequiturs and nothing ever becomes of that character. Uh, that would automatically make it a little bit uh, more Lynchian to the to my liking, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that yeah, so that is an inspiration. I love knowing that. I wish they they had done more with it. Something I found that I thought was really interesting is that uh, the idea of the egg for the windfish mm-hmm. uh, kind of pretty iconic. It's on most of the artwork. It's on the cover of you know the, the multiple boxes. It's kind of the the key image of this game. Um, this was originally saved over as an idea from a link to the past, hmm. um, but got put in here. They just really like the idea of a giant egg on a mountain, um, and I just like that they couldn't quite fit it in in a link to the past, so they yeah. just rolled it over into this <laughs> game. Um, I think that's a that's an interesting like holdover idea. Yeah, uh, I think I think I can see maybe where they would have fit it in, like in the volcano area. You know, maybe it's like a dragon's egg or something like that. Uh, I kind of like what they do with it here. Uh, it makes it very kind of surreal and off, uh, you know, off putting. Yeah. Um, because I'm almost positive in a traditional Zelda game, this egg would be like a dragon or a phoenix or something like that. Yep. Something bigger scaled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this Zelda game was also the first time Zelda has done trading sequences, the trading game. Um, what do you think about the trading game in Zelda's? Yeah, do you like was, it? Do you not like it? So I was thinking about that when you were talking about um, the village uh, and kind of getting to know all the people. And I don't love the trading game. Uh, I really don't. Neither do I. 
But I will say for a game this small um, where you really can't have the villagers have a ton of personality, yeah. you, using the trading game to get, the, to get to know them is a pretty good um, compromise. I, I had a similar note written where it was like mechanisms in video games, not just these. I mean, I think um, JRPGs do this too, where it's like, how do we get people to talk to everyone in a town? Right. How many games do you play where you just try to avoid talking to people? You're trying I to mean, get a lot, them. right? A lot. Like, I would say Octopath Traveler has an yeah. solution <laughs> yeah. to this, but yeah, exactly. Where you can rob everyone. Yes, um, it, it, it is nice, uh, but yeah, it, it just it's, it seemed like one of those types of it's like very transparent, just the, a transparent attempt of for them to try to get you to talk to people. And I, it sounds so curmudgeon to be like, I don't want to talk to people. But when I'm replaying a game and if I don't remember something, it, it's frustrating when I have to go talk to everybody to try to figure out, oh, who's the person who gives me this, this thing, you know? So, the, and that's kind of the thing that saves it for me. I think I hated this as a kid when I played it. Um, and the main reason being I was young, I had, you know, low attention span. I would put the game down. I would pick it back up after, yeah. you know, long times and I would forget um, whereas in this day and age, you can, you know, in three seconds on your phone, uh, be able to figure out where True. you should be going next. So I think today uh, that's ameliorated to a degree. Um, yeah. I thought at the time it was very annoying. Um, I think this works with a very small cast. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a little bit archaic now. And I think, um, we definitely kind of grown out of that. So you're getting into something that I want to make sure we do touch on. And I was going to save it to kind of like what works, what doesn't work is I want to talk about how Zelda games have a, how the 2d era Zelda games have aged. And this is an element that's in 3d Zeldas too, where you just kind of don't know where to go next, but there's a difference some some of these Zelda games, uh, the older ones, don't always tell you where you need to go. And other Zelda games are a little bit more handholdy. And in this case, I just I think that the the 2D navigation, you got like a map, right? With you got all these squares that make up the map. When you pull up the map, you're just filling out this giant grid. When you visit a part of the game, you fill out that part of the map. You can always track your location. 2D navigation, when you don't know where to go, I think adds, there's something about it that, well, I have some feelings about it. I, I guess I should talk about it now, but I want to make sure we go back to that because I, in, in some ways I think that it's aged interestingly. Um, obviously, a lot of the, any possible frustration that could result from that um, can be, you know, eliminated by looking up where you need to go of course but back in the day when you didn't know where to go and you didn't have a strategy guide it was a little bit different and we obviously had more time on our hands um we might have had a stronger intention span but anyway let's let's um, let's let's revisit that yeah i i would like to revisit that because i have some thoughts as well especially comparing the game boy version to the switch version exactly um i would just like to point out that i guess this uh side quest like this trading thing which does show up in other video games i guess it's based off of a folktale in japan where yeah. a man begins with a piece of straw and he trades kind of up until he becomes like rich 
Um, or uh, the episode of The Office where Dwight begins with, I forget what he begins with, and he winds up with the most valuable thing in uh, the garage sale. I did not know that. I am not an office watcher. Or maybe the least valuable thing. I don't remember, but it's that idea. He like mm-hmm. trades his way up through a bunch of stuff. Hmm. Um, yeah. So something interesting, um, we were talking kind of about the people behind this. Yeah. Um, Miyamoto was a producer, but he didn't really have anything directly to do with it. He was though a tester. Yeah. That I did not know. Um, and apparently that influenced the latter half of the game design. Hmm. I think that's very interesting. Um, and knowing what I know of Miyamoto, I feel like that would probably be the role he would be best at. Um, yeah, the stories I've heard of him kind of working over people's shoulders make him sound a little hmm. overbearing. Um, but being a tester and just saying like, hey, you know, this puzzle you made, uh, maybe change it this way. Instead yeah. of, you know, coming to the issue after the fact and working at it that way versus before something's even on paper, he kind of has his ideas about it. Yeah. Um, but I just thought that was an interesting note. I don't know what other games he's tested. I'd be kind of curious. I would too. Um so this game was very well received critically, kind of always has been. And, you know, initially some of the criticisms I would say were, were minor, right? I mean, by the time this game came out, you already had Link to the Past, which kind of took advantage of more than two buttons in a control scheme. And so like the original Game Boy game and Game Boy Color versions, you know, you're limited to your A and B and your control pad. And that kind of was a criticism, though they said it slowed the pace of the game, but I would, you know, you're dealing with a different system. I'm not sure I, I really ever felt, especially, you know, having played the other Zelda games of that era, I don't know if I ever really felt Link's Awakening was weaker in that regard. Um, and also subsequent 2D Zelda games that came out, like Link to, or, um, like Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, I really never felt like it kind of was slowed. Um but yeah, I, mean, I uh, yeah. yeah, I I never noticed as a child playing because you know I played the Oracle games, I played Link's Awakening. I never really noticed it as an issue. It's only been kind of in more modern times, looking back mm-hmm. at like retro, retro reviews of those games, people cite that. Um, and I did uh, download and play the Oracle games when they were on the eShop, uh, probably like seven years ago, something like that. Same with me. And, yeah and when i came back to it as an adult you know with more modern eyes i noticed it um so i think it just depends what era you're kind of uh coming at the games from i think and and i haven't checked to verify this but i think that the oracle of seasons oracle of ages games are longer games in general they are i I think one of the so some people have this, this this game is sometimes cited by people as their favorite Zelda game. Not I would say this and Link to the Past are very commonly cited as favorite Zeldas. I mean, Ocarina is too, but there's always those those three in particular. And I think one of the reasons I was searching for reasons uh, given by people for why this is their favorite. One of one of the reasons given, one of the common reasons, is that it is just a very, despite any possible pacing criticisms, it's, it's just kind of a tight tightly made game it's not too long it doesn't overstay its welcome it's not overly difficult to get around or remember where you've been and i think people just like it as a departure much in the same way that they liked majora's mask kind of taking something kind of taking that base that ocarina base and turning it into doing something very creative with it i think people were really receptive to that here 
Um, I personally, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, at least not anymore. I, I'm not sure how I feel about it anymore. But anyway, really quick though, you know, the, again, that was the criticism of the Game Boy and Game Boy Color versions, or but even the Switch version, which was very well received, also overly expensive. Not a game that I wish I would have paid sixty bucks for. Um, and not a lot of new features. There's like a d- new like dungeon builder feature that I thought was just awful. Um, and some like graphical slowdown. I also, well, I'll save it for when we talk about what works and what doesn't work. Um, but you know, my, what, tell me about your personal history with this game. You didn't mention you played it as a kid. We both mentioned how we played it as a kid, but like what were, you know, I'm sure you loved it or I'm sure you at least liked it. Well, you know, do you recall any more pointed? Yeah. 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 So, uh, I will always remember this birthday. Um, my mom got me the, uh, like Pokemon yellow strategy guide. Nice. Um, and I was like, but mommy, I don't have Pokemon yellow. You fucking idiot. (laughs) Um, and she was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like I, I thought this would work with the Pokemon game you have. And I was like, it's fine. Um, but the next, the next day we went to uh, my grandma's house. Um, and my grandma had gotten me uh, a game boy color. Pokemon Yellow and Link's Awakening nice. uh, for Game Boy Color. Um, so I got all those from her. So my mind was blown. And I was like, you got the guide. You knew she had it. And my mom was like, well, yes. Um, and so I played Pokemon yeah. Yellow kind of ad nauseum. And then when I got sick of that, I was like, oh, yeah, I got this other game, um, Link's Awakening DX. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started playing with that. Immediately got hooked. Um, I had tried playing Zelda 1 and 2. Um a bunch when I was very little. We had a regular Nintendo, but we had a Genesis. We never had a Super Nintendo. So we had all the old um, NES classics, Legend of Zelda, Mario, things like that. Legend of Zelda was a game that at like four, five, six years old, I didn't understand. I just knew I liked moving around, you know, in it. Uh, But, you know, when I was a little older, I got Link's Awakening. I was like, okay, actually, I kind of get this now. Link's Awakening holds your hand much more than the original Zelda does. It has more of a story, you know, more, you know, goals. The art style is kind of cuter. Um, there's more going on visually on the screen. It was in color, which is really cool. Um, we'll talk about um, kind of the graphics in each version, but those uh, those colors for the Game Boy Color, they really pop. Um, yeah. And I don't think you can overstate how cool that was um, and what a step up that was um, from the big like brick um, black and white Game Boy to the smaller, slimmer, really colorful Game Boy Color. Um, so I remember playing it. I remember getting stuck, uh, and I would occasionally come back to it. And then I remember I was at Blockbuster one time and there was like a game informer or something and it had, you know, full Link's Awakening walkthrough. And so I begged my dad to, to buy it. Um, and so I used that walkthrough in the magazine to finish the game. Um, and then, you know, throughout the years, um, I probably replayed it probably at least two times on the Game Boy Color. Um, and then recently, um, I think a year and a half ago, maybe, uh, I bought, or maybe even more recently than that, I got the Switch version, played through it, uh, had a pretty good time, and uh, now we are here to talk about it. How yeah. about your experiences with the game? Um, this isn't entirely related to, to Link's Awakening, but I just want to note also my mom pulled some awesome bullshit uh, no, some really just amazing, uh, Christmas the, the, the Christmas where I got my Game Boy Color was one of the best Christmases ever. I will never forget it. It was one of those things where my, my mom's just like, 
I couldn't find it. Like it was sold out everywhere. Cause it was, uh, I was like calling, I was yeah. calling target. I was like, trying to help her find it. I think unless I'm misremembering, but I, I remember her being like, yeah, like I couldn't get it. And then I went to my grandma's house and I got it on Christmas Eve and I, I lost my shit. Um, grandma's man. Yeah. And I, it was either that night or the soon after that I got links awakening DX. Um, I had played the game already by that point. So this is, this is my, most played most replayed zelda game i would say that i I, probably played it at least 10 to 12 times in my life maybe maybe more honestly because i i played i played it a lot um back in the day um i i recall i think there were a couple games that i like would finish it and i would just start it again and i had a bunch of games i just think i just loved this game so much um that i would just do that and kind of trying to see how, if I could do it quickly. Like, you know, you, for, you forget like who you need to talk to in this point. Like, like it's, it's easy to replay if you just played it and you know exactly who to talk to each time. Like you can fly through the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I think one of the other reasons I played it so much is because this was the first Zelda game I ever played. Um, I, I fell in love with it. Um, it was, I, I, I think I maybe on the side during that time I've been playing this game, like dabbled with the first two. Um, I didn't play links link to the past till later. Um, not much later in my life, but later than this. And so this was like my first Zelda game and it will always hold a special place in my heart for that. That said, um, I found myself getting a little bit tired of the game and maybe it's cause I've played it so much. And again, this is going based off of my switch replay, but I don't, there were things about the switch version that I didn't totally love. I actually didn't totally, we'll get a little bit more into how like the game design with the switch, um, but the graphics were both really cool and also had a little almost too kitty, too toy-like, um, which some people said was really fitting for a game, a very playful game like this. I don't know if that's just what I wanted. Um, I don't think it's an objective like fault, like of the game that everyone should agree with. It's just, there's something about the game now that doesn't resonate with me in the same way. And, and there are other games from this era that have stuck with me as games that I still like love just as much as I used to, if not a little bit more, this one has gone down and I, I can't entirely put my finger on it. I, I, I think I've, I've come up with some reasons and we'll talk about them in a little bit more detail as, as we go through this. Um, and it really wasn't until thinking about this game and replaying it recently um, for this episode that I, I started coming to these conclusions. Yeah. Remind me when we get to what works and what doesn't, um, because I do want to come back to that. Uh, I think the aesthetic can be a double-edged sword uh, for the Switch version, but I, I have uh, kind of more thoughts when we get there. Okay. And I want to say, because I don't know if it really fits into our structure, uh, but I'm going to just, so I'm going to say it now, talking about kind of revisiting and like personal experiences. My favorite 2D Zelda game is Oracle of Seasons. I've actually said that for for a while, even, I mean, this has, I, I used to love this game more than I do now. I still think that Oracle of Seasons was one I liked more because in my mind that was taking what worked so great about this game, a game that I loved back when Oracle of Seasons came out 
And I loved the gimmick of seasons. I loved the the two game epic seasons versus ages, like across those two games. I love that they both came together and you could, you know, fight twin Rova and Ganon and all that. But all that aside, just I thought seasons as a single game had incredible dungeons. It was it was such an incredible evolution from this game. And so I kind of see it as like Nintendo mastering that. 2D Zelda and the, being at the top of their 2D Zelda game. People uh, yeah, who love I, Link I, to the Past say I'm insane. I, I like Link to the Past a lot. I just, <laughs> I mean, uh, I overall I would argue Link Between Worlds. If we're gonna, I mean, if that is, see that that's my number two. 2D, yeah, that w- I, I would I would consider that 2D just because it follows that same yeah. type of. It's got a lot of the same qualities, and that yeah, I mean, obviously that's my second favorite. I think no one could make the argument uh, that. 2D Zeldas wouldn't exist in the way that they do now, you know, without this game. Absolutely. So I don't mean to diminish the impact um, or quality of this game. It's a very, well, I heard the game's mother is listening and she's probably very, (laughs) Um, but but, uh, tell us what, what what are we doing in this game? There's no Zelda. What? But it's called the legend of Zelda. Uh, Yeah. You play as this uh, deranged. Did they even uh... read the title? (laughs) No. They did not. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, you you're, you play this deranged psychopath named Lonk. Uh, um, yeah, he's a really bad sailor. He's a really bad sailor. Uh, no. So this game uh, opens on Link. Um, he is on a ship in a storm. It's a little, kind of like a mini cutscene here. Um, and he doesn't know where he's going. And ends up shipwrecked from well, the storm. We, I mean, we don't know where he's going. Well, we don't know where he's yeah. going. He doesn't. Well, you know what? He's not the brightest bulb sometimes. Just because you know, just because you your muscle doesn't mean that you're smart. Uh, yeah, I I mean I guess, but he's he's going somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. going somewhere, and he ends up shipwrecked on a small and quirky island of coholent I don't know if I've ever known how to say it. Yeah, coholent 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 Koholint Island. Damn. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And there's this big old egg, uh, like we talked about. Um, and Link, I mean, basically what we're summing up right now is the story, essentially. Yeah. Um, but the only way Link can um, escape the island and return to Hyrule is by gathering the eight instruments uh, that will wake the windfish from its long slumber inside of its egg. Yep. which sounds really bizarre, but kind of makes sense when we get to the end. So essentially the game is about talking to the residents of Koholint Island, exploring the island, uh, finding the dungeons where the instruments are kept, gathering them um, and playing them to wake the windfish. A classic Zelda eight dungeons and then the final dungeon yes. structure. Yes. Yes. Um, way more dungeon real estate on this island than um, you know habitable real estate. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, that is true. Um, should we should we take this time to talk about some of the di- like the high level differences between these three games? Uh, why don't we Why don't we talk about kind of the characters? Sure. Why don't we? Uh, yeah. Why don't we kind of talk about the characters? Finish out what happens at the end of the plot, and then we can kind of loop back around to um, like design and aesthetic. Uh, the reason that this makes sense to us is because there's just not a lot to the plot and characters. There really isn't. Um, and it's pr- a pretty simple story. Um, so we'll kind of get that out of the way. And then sure. we'll kind of talk about some of those other things. 
Um, but um, so characters, we have Link. Um, we don't really know uh, which Link this is because Zelda. We never know. They, who yeah, no. If it's one thing that doesn't that it doesn't resonate with me at all, really, it's it's the Zelda timeline. But I gotta say, I don't think I've ever cared. I don't. I don't care either. Um, but we like we don't know. Is this like his own Link? Is this the Link from Link to the Past? Um, is it after Ocarina of Time? Who even knows? Um, Who knows? But they but they claim it's after Ocarina and Link to the Past, but before the Oracle games. But whatever. Um, so um, important characters: uh, Taryn and Marin. Um, Marin is the lovely young lady who wakes you on the beach at the beginning of the game. Um, she's kind of your like go-to lady friend. She likes to sing. Animals like her. Um, she never becomes a damsel in distress like you might think. Yep. Um, she just kind of helps Link out. Um, she's a pretty face to look at. They have a nice, cute little moment um, on the beach in the sunset. Um, Marin is her dad, who looks like Mario. Um, he loves mm-hmm. mushrooms like Mario and maybe uh, like a weird hybrid rat or raccoon creature. He might, for all we know, be a yeah. plumber as well. Yeah. So then uh, residents of Kaholnit Village, um, those are the residents you're probably going to see around the most. These are like the, the Twin Peaks-esque town residents that uh, they want you to get to know. So there's a married couple with a crying baby. They have like a big house at the edge of town. There's a lady with a pet chomp chomp. There's a shopkeeper. Um, there's a fisherman in town, and that's where you kind of play the fishing mini game for a heart piece and rupees. This is actually the first Zelda game with a fishing mini game in it. Uh, they felt encouraged to put one in in Ocarina of Time uh, because of the fishing minigame in this game. Hmm. Um, you have um, an old lady who loves to sweep, um, some kids playing catch, um, a few random other people here and there, uh, and then uh, a couple interesting people. So uh, we have the, the, the payphone, right? So there are payphones all over this island. Uh, the payphones function as hints. So if you get stuck, if you don't know where to go, Go to the payphone house. It will ring. You pick up the payphone um, and uh, someone from the other end gives you kind of a hint of what to do, uh, which as a kid, I never really questioned as an adult. Like I said, Same. coming up with this outline, I was like, wait a minute, who could this be? That's very mysterious. It's very Lynchian. Uh, no, uh, the Zelda wiki. Um, and I think maybe in the game, they kind of spell it out. It's old man, Ulria, oh, right. I, who's okay, like an I old man. Saw this mystery way yeah, back in the day. Yeah. It's the sweeping old lady. It's it's her husband, and in his house he does have a phone. They do they do say this in the game somewhere. Yeah, but as to why he knows what to do or where to go or why he's helping you, that's really also unclear and vaguely Lynchian. So I don't know yeah. which is stranger and more Lynchian: the fact that you know it's this old man who has no reason to know all these things, or that it's a disembodied voice uh, in the payphone. Either way, it's 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 kind of odd. Yeah. Um, and then the rest are kind of more, I mean, they're really all just like Zelda, um, like plot tools, uh, yep. but uh, there's a witch and she'll brew potions for you. She kind of lives a little bit outside the village in like a swamp. There's another village of animals. It's called Animal Village uh, that Marin visits sometimes. Um, Tracy is the witch's apprentice or something, and she runs a spa there. There's a mermaid. Uh, there's another fisherman. There's a raft shop with an owner. There's a frog creature that lives in a cave. Uh, there's a monkey. Essentially, all these characters, for the most part, exist um, to trade items, yeah. um, to move the story along, and uh, things like that. 
Um, they're for the most part well designed. I think in the Switch version, they're all well realized um, yep. to their concept art. Uh, they're nice. They're colorful. Um, none of them are going to be like anyone's favorite NPC. Uh, anyone looking for like a magnum opus of fan fiction about, uh, let's say, the pet lady with the chomp chomp, it's not there. Um, but and they definitely we were the, looking for that. We, I, I, I actually <laughs> did, and I couldn't find it. Uh, but in terms of Zelda NPCs go, they're fine. Uh, they're yeah. definitely not the worst of the bunch. They're not super memorable, though, just because they're, they're very one note. Yes. I would agree with that. Oh, and then the plot, right? So our friend, he get, he goes through the dungeons. Maybe later when we talk about like the mechanics, we can talk about the dungeons because each one kind of has its own mechan- mm-hmm. mechanical gimmick. Uh, but he gathers the instruments. He plays the instruments to open uh, a doorway on the egg. Um, uh, throughout the game, you've had hints that uh, perhaps something is going on and that reality is not what it seems you kind of finally realize that you are dreaming that Kaholnet Island is either a dream that Link and the Windfish are creating together, or maybe just the Windfish is creating and that Link gets like pulled into. If Link plays the instruments, the Windfish will wake up, ending the dream, um, making the island go away, um, and having Link wake up in the real world. Yep. Uh, Link does this. He defeats the evil at the center of the Windfish egg um, and seemingly wakes up in the real world. Speaking of playing instruments, this is the first Zelda game to have an ocarina and songs oh, to learn. That is also neglected. I, I forgot to mention that earlier, but that is that is it did not like have any impact on me whatsoever back. Like I wasn't like playing Ocarina of Time like, oh, they already did this. Like I, I but for some reason now I, I find that really interesting that they 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 did that idea here and they were like, you know what we really need to take from this game the ocarina and the trading sequence. Yeah. <laughs> I like the ocarina and fishing. I, I've, I've always liked the ocarina, but yeah, the trading sequence. Um, I don't know the fishing. I don't know, but yeah, yeah you can definitely see the influences, uh, which is kind of interesting. You wouldn't think that this little game boy color game would kind of predate a lot of uh, Zelda trends that yeah. come in later games, but it's, it's, it's nice to see. Because this this game could have just with you know other developers or anything like that like it could have been a game that exists for a Game Boy and you don't some like you know developers might not treat the Game Boy like it matters like it's just kind of like a game like there's like a Metal Gear Solid game for Game Boy Color or like a Metal Gear game or something like that that like no one or like a Resident Evil game for Game Boy Color that nobody treats as like part of the canon or if they do it's like nobody it's like here's some developers would just be like, here's this shitty game for you playing the Game Boy Color. We're going to focus our efforts on like real systems. And this game feels like Nintendo cares and they took so much from it and used it in later games. So it really feels like it's a true, true part of the Zelda series there. I mean, there is a 100% a level of polish on this that there does not need to be. Yeah. Um, Nintendo could have sold this as a completed game with a lot of the personality this game has not packaged in it. Um, but that's not the way they went. Uh, and I think that's why the game today is still talked about and why it got a remaster. Yeah. Remake really remake. But uh, The remake did not change uh, kind of the mechanics though. Did it? No, not really. I mean, I mean, there, there's some quality of life type improvements, right? I mean, you can, you can mark up your map 
there's there's x and y buttons since the switch now has x and y buttons right um, but i mean at its core this is still your top still down 2d zelda same game yeah um and yeah now with the added buttons from the switch it makes managing items much easier um why don't we do you want to briefly talk about the dungeons and then we can talk about what works and what doesn't or is there anything else you can you want to hit well whenever we i feel like we still should kind of do just like an overview of the differences between the games um, oh yeah just because they're yes. yeah because i mean again the, the original and the dx version are kind of have that classic top-down 2d perspective swish adds an element of 3d to it and i mentioned earlier it kind of has like a very cartoonish toy-like um graphical design um it's like still top down but there's a slight change to the camera perspective to add depth of field and there's this it really is like a, like a toy like design of these characters that i thought was very cute when i first saw it and i think that i maybe sort of prefer the dx look to it the retro the fully retro look um then again i also think all uh all games now should have the same art style as octopath traveler <laughs> all retro games i just love that like two and a half d or whatever the hell you want to call it like pixely yeah. 3d elements with great lighting anyway i um, think what they were yeah i think what they were shooting for is capturing the look of the um concept art yeah um, i think something i read about the ocarina of time 3d um remake for 3ds is that's what they were going for is not to um remake or redo anything but to um, just go back to the original concept art and kind of realize that. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what they were going for here. It feels, yeah, it, I think it looks fine. What kind of really disappoints me are not the characters, but just the, the slowdown from all the effects they have going. Yes, there is. There are, there are some problems there. Um, so again, like I mentioned this, these games are all you know, mainly top down though. This, the original did this and all the other ones did this too. Like they occasionally switch to kind of like a 2d side scrolling view where you're, where you're, I don't know even how to, to describe the perspective, but like if you're in a tunnel or a basement or something in a dungeon, you're going from one floor to the next, you're kind of like walking on the side, almost like in a, in a Mario type way. I mean, it essentially is to the point where they have you jumping on Goombas. Yeah. It, you were quite literally jumping on yeah. Goombas. Yeah. Um, and that they, they don't use that view switch that much though they do use it to cool effect i remember finding the seventh dungeon boss the eagle and having a boss fight from a different perspective i thought that was very neat still is um you know but yeah the, the same elements as usual are are in all all these games all versions of the game you know, heart containers items in each dungeon overworld warp portals exploring dungeons um you know, some dungeons have keys to unlock them um, or every other dungeon has a key to unlock it. And the other, you just kind of have to find a way in. Um, there's no key. Um, some There's some similar weapons and enemies that have been in multiple 2D Zelda games. Uh, we mentioned there's a trading sequence. Um, some other collectibles, you have heart pieces as usual. Um, there are secret seashells that you collect. Um, I'm blanking on an equivalent in another Zelda game to this element. I mean, not like I don't think they've ever done seashells um, again. I mean, it's like it's like the skull, 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 skull tokens. Right. I, yeah, totally blanked on that. But yeah, um, similar structures. The other Zelda, uh, many other two D Zelda games, early Zelda games, eight dungeons, final dungeon. Um, I would say, you know, I mean, the the original and the and the color one are mostly the same. The big draw, other than the fact that DX was in color, 
was that it has a new dungeon. It has a color dungeon and it has a reward at the end where you essentially pick, you know, do you want to boost your strength and get a better sword or do you want to boost your defense and get a better tunic? Um, I'm always taking um, attack items in those types of situations. However, I did not do that uh, in my current playthrough of Chrono Trigger, but I will not digress. Um, so yeah, the, the Switch version, as I mentioned, adds kind of the ability to mark up your map and have X and Y buttons. They, they did add fairy bottles, some, a seashell sensor to find the seashells. And it was a different final gift for completing the trading game sequence, which I actually forgot when I was playing the Switch version that in the, in the original, in the DX, there's a magnifying lens that lets you lead, uh, or read a book in the library, um, which solves kind of the, the puzzle to the windfish. Um, because the windfish kind of does a little lost woods type thing in it. Um, we have to find your way through and know the exact sequence to move through. And in the switch version, you get the boomerang, which in some Zelda games, I would say is a completely useless item. Um, except they usually, in this one is actually quite good. It's quite great in this game. Um, I feel like they usually give you some use for it that you have to have it. Um, but generally I would say the boomerang is kind of crappy. Like, I mean, I, you know, Ocarina of Time, you need it, obviously. But yeah, that's that's kind of the high-level differences between these games. Yeah, so uh, we have eight dungeons, yeah. uh, nine if you're playing the Switch remake or the DX version, um, and then a couple of, like, random mini dungeons. So the first one you have is Tail Cave, very reminiscent of uh, the first dungeon in the original Zelda, Legend of Zelda, actually. Um, just like a very simple, straightforward uh, dungeon teaching you think about things like keys, uh, the boss keys, stuff like that. You have Bottle Grotto. Um, I remember the boss to this one uh, is a genie, um, and it's located in a swamp. Um, this one has you throwing uh, things, throwing uh, jars, heavy things like that, uh, which will become a gameplay mechanic. What I enjoy about uh, these dungeons compared to some other Zelda games um, is that oftentimes when a mechanic or an item um, gets picked up in a previous dungeon, uh, that becomes a tool for solving puzzles in new dungeons. Yes. Um, something that modern 3D Zeldas get criticized for is that uh, the items are kind of useless mm -hmm. outside of the dungeon you find them in. Um, not the case here necessarily. Yep. Um, Key Cavern, honestly, another pretty straightforward dungeon. Very. What's interesting about these um, that I, I was thinking about compared to other Zelda games is there's a lot more water uh, in these dungeons, both yeah. water themed and water being involved, even kind of non-water dungeons. So you have Angler's Tunnel and Catfish's Maw back-to-back, -back, which are two water uh, dungeons. Interesting and choice to do two back-to-back -back water yeah, themed yeah. dungeons. And you get the you get the flippers, which allow you to swim. Um, and then I believe the scale lets you dive. Um, but you yeah, in water, water is like water levels is some is you know that's you could, we could do a whole podcast episode on water levels. But I would say that two D Zelda has also been criticized for the way they handle water levels in general. Like the they, the most ambitious attempt they ever made was Jabu Jabu's belly in Oracle of Ages. I would say. And I think it succeeds in some ways and is a frustrating disaster in other ways. Here, it's pretty straightforward, um, at least more straightforward than in some other Zelda games. But still, I would I would say that those two dungeons, Angler's Tunnel and Catfish's Maw, are probably the weakest, in my Definitely. opinion. Good good items. I mean, the flippers are cool, but the hook shot you get in the Catfish's Maw, I mean, that's fun. Um, but yeah, probably weaker 
weaker dungeons. Yeah, honestly, I remember the bosses from a lot of these dungeons versus the actual mechanic. Um, yeah. uh, we have the face shrine, um, which this one I do remember because uh, it's kind of the uh, like a, a ruin in the desert. Yeah, and I when like you this first, one. yeah, when you first go in, there's this big armor guy that you kind of have to beat before you even realize that uh, there's anything um, kind of notable about this place. Um, but the dungeon itself is actually kind of that sweet spot of challenging and rewarding. You earn the level two gauntlets that you pick up like great big heavy statues. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get into uh, the last two dungeon canonical dungeons outside of the color dungeon. Um, the last two cano- canonical dungeons, Eagle Tower and Turtle Rock, uh, not a big fan of. Yeah, um, That's kind of where the dungeons get to be too gimmicky and too unwieldy and too large to kind of satisfyingly um, play through. Um, Agreed. This was a handheld game, so I think part of the reason for making things, both uh, the scale of the Game Boy itself, but also the idea that people would only be playing this in short bursts, a lot of the other dungeons feel like they could be completed in one sitting. Eagle's Tower and Turtle Rock, it took me on the Switch multiple separate plate like sessions, essentially. My, me as well, though I admittedly my sessions were shorter than they normally would have been um, compared to I think my sessions back in the day. I, I I do like the boss of Eagle's Tower, but I would agree that the last two dungeons don't really do a whole lot for me. And that was one of the other kind of main things that I remember kind of in my reanalysis of how I felt about this game, when I replayed Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons, well, actually mainly Oracle of Seasons, I really like the last two dungeons. Um, not as much the case here. Yeah, and then we have the color dungeon, which, uh, as we said, is a bonus for the uh, director's cut version and the Switch version. I actually really like the color dungeon. It does I some, agree. Like, it does some cute stuff with... Um, uh, you know, being able to differentiate colors, uh, which for the Switch isn't really, you know, that impressive. But uh, at the time for the Game Boy Color, this was really cool. It's like, okay, um, we're going to use color uh, as like a puzzle solving uh, method in this dungeon. And because this is a Game Boy Color, you can kind of actually navigate that and figure it out. And isn't that just such a classic Nintendo thing to do? It really is. But in this case, the gimmick of having colors is a gimmick I'm okay with. Me too. Uh, the gimmick of having like a separate gamepad that you can write and draw on yeah. be your flagship console, no. The gimmick of using a Wiimote to mimic playing a violin bow, you know, you know <laughs> that's not a gimmick you're a fan of? Yeah, no, 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 no. Definitely not. Um, and then, as you mentioned, if it can even be considered a dungeon, the Windfish's Egg um, is kind of like the Lost Woods. If you don't know the preset route, you will get rerouted to the beginning again and again. Uh, the preset route is different for every single game and every playthrough. Yep. Um, that's why you can't, like I tried to as a kid, uh, go in magazine screenshots <laughs> and just use theirs. I tried as well. I, uh, you have to complete the trading uh, mini game to be able to get the magnifying glass and read the book. Um, or in the Switch version, you have to kind of charge into uh, the bookshelf um, so that you can correctly navigate um, the Windfish's egg. Yep. But not really a dungeon. It's just kind of the final location. Yep. And I, I enjoy the boss. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy. I actually enjoy all the bosses, um, even yeah. Eagle Tower and Turtle Rock. Uh, the Eagle t- Eagle fight in Eagle Tower is very cool. Um, it's done entirely in that two D style. Um, Eagle Tower is especially grievous to me, just in terms of mechanics, because it involves knocking out pillars on different floors of the tower by mm-hmm. throwing 
um, heavy uh, metal spheres. Yep. Um, and then Turtle Rock, the reason I find that annoying is it is by far the biggest dungeon. Um, it's massive. Um, very samey. It's very samey. It's a lot of backtracking. It just manages to overstay its welcome. I agree. And that's the game. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, pretty again, much. it doesn't sound really that epic, but there's no Zelda. There's no Ganon. I mean, really, the story is just how is Link going to get off this island, get these instruments, do it. Uh, it does manage to tug on your heartstrings a little bit because they do, I think, do a decent job building on Marin as kind of your cute little friend. Yeah. Um, and then realizing that by uh, beating the game, you'll essentially be destroying her and the island. Uh, I mean, it, I, I think it leaves you with... Um, feelings i don't know which ones um but i think it tries to leave you with some kind of feeling yeah i now that i'm a cold um unfeeling uh shell of a man i don't know if it made me feel anything last time i played the game but when i was a kid when i was an innocent uh kid with a lot of promise um and i had a had a warm heart uh i had feelings yeah yeah um, well, let's talk about what, what worked. Um, uh, I'll, I'll start with what works. And yeah. um, this is, we can kind of talk about uh, what we were alluding to earlier, but I actually think the art style works. Uh, and I'm talking for what works specifically about the Switch version. Sure. Um, I think the art style works. And I think the reason it works for me and it may not work for you is something I was thinking about. Um, that I think for those of us that are used to um, having grown up playing games with lower graphical fidelity, I think when we see a remake or a remaster where they're uh, kind of updating the visuals, I think nothing is ever going to compare to kind of the gaps you were able to fill in with your own imagination mm -hmm. um, on kind of the lower fi um, hardware. And I had the same reaction with the Final Fantasy VII remake um, I'm sure because, well, actually I know because Tetsuya Nomura, uh, the way the characters look in the Final Fantasy VII remake, I believe are what he always wanted them to look like. Yeah. Um, whereas when I go back and I look at the concept art for Final Fantasy VII and I play the original Final Fantasy VII, the, the way I envision the characters in my head, the, the kind of gaps I have to fill in as I'm playing it, um, to kind of, you know, make it a visual movie in my head does not at all match the, the, the reinterpretation of the characters in remake. Um, so I, I just, for that reason, I, I kind of will always prefer the original. Um, and I think maybe that's what's happening with you. Maybe not. I don't know. You can kind of tell me, but that's, that was the thought I had. Okay. I don't know what's happening with me, Aaron. I, it's complicated. Uh, okay. but, <laughs> um, did you have anything else about kind of what you? No, what just that. Just the such? That's the only thing. No, the only um, thing I uh, I think the brevity works. Um, I think it I is would agree a with pretty that. pick pick up and go game. Uh, minus kind of once you get to those last, once you hit like the last two dungeons on, it, it kind of becomes a, a, a bit of a slog. Mm -hmm. But even then, if you know what you're doing, you can beat this game in I don't know three hours. Like if you really know what you're doing. Yeah. Um. So I mean, it's not super long. I think the brevity works. Um, I think the items are fun to use. I think the world is fun. I think as a side game, um, it's great. I think Link is very funny um, in his like cartoony Link way that they let him be funny uh, in some of these games. Um, I, I just think it's a really nice little package. Um, 
the price point I'm never going to be concerned about because it's Nintendo and they're going to do what they're going to do. I just mm-hmm. kind of stop worrying about it. But um, no, I, I, I think a lot about this game works. Um, I mean, really, I'm just going to say the only thing that doesn't work are uh, kind of the last couple dungeons. I'd say like the last 15% of the game, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work. Uh, the graphical hiccups on the Switch version, um, kind of annoying, but not game breaking. All right. For me, well, I mean, what works is it's a Zelda game. So, you know, there's that. Uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a really fun game. Um, it's an engaging game. Uh, you know, spinoff title that could have been something throwaway, but it's not, it's endured. Um, and I don't, not just to mean, not not just to speak nostalgically, but there's a lot of nostalgia to it. I can't get around it. Um, I have a strong nostalgia for, for this game and for, you know, parts of it. Like, you know, I love items like the power bracelet, the rocks feather. I mean, those are the majority games I was playing when I was growing up were 2d ones. Um, even after Ocarina came out, cause there, you know, there was just Ocarina for a time. Right. Um, there was like a two year period where all we had was Ocarina of time. And then the rest, you know, I was yeah. just playing and replaying game boy games, super Nintendo and all that. Um, I, I just like a lot of these items. Um, I'm always going to have a strong nostalgia for it. I think they work well. I mean, some people hate the idea that Link can't jump unless you have an item. Um, I, that doesn't bother me at all. No, 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 no. Um, I, I, again, yeah, brevity, to echo what you said. Um, it is, it's just a very charming game. There's a, I like the quirkiness about it to a point, And that's just one of my transitions into what doesn't work about the game. Um, I, and this didn't happen most recently, but it started to happen as I was getting older. I really think the Mario, the, all the Mario references like Piranha Plants, Goombas, Talon looking like Mario. I, I just, I kind of, it's like a groan inducing element of the game to me. I just don't find it charming. I kind of find it annoying. I, it's not, you know, it's not so offensive to me, right? I mean, it's still just like a Zelda, a handheld Zelda game. I'm not going to get that offended by it, but it just, I think it's a weak part part of the game and it doesn't hold up very well. I think at best they're Easter eggs. I think at worst they're just kind of weird eyesores. Yeah, I I I, I think it's a little level above Easter egg because there's a there's a clear attempt to integrate a lot of Nintendo property into this game in a in a way where it's not it's more than just like a picture on a wall, right? It's like you have you you literally take a chain chomp. You have to touch a Yoshi. You have to touch a Yoshi. Yeah. Um, and th- back then, I didn't care. In fact, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I d- don't love it now. Um, I never really liked trading sequences. I can. I was trying to convince myself that the only exception to that was Ocarina of Time, because you got the Bigoron sword and such. But I, the truth is, I actually didn't like that at all when I first played Ocarina of Time, and then I just actually started to like it. But that was only because I knew what to do when I didn't know what to do. I was, I thought it was really annoying. Um, and when, you know, when you're first playing certain games, you just, you know, not knowing the, the, the solution is, but even looking up the solution, I was like, Oh, and I have to go talk to this guy because I'm a completionist. I don't need to do that, but I try to, and I didn't like having to like, look at, right, now I got to go do this. Got to go do this. To me, that's when you have to look, when you look up the solution to something in a game, because you don't want to spend as much time playing it or replaying it. And it still is annoying to do that thing, even if you know how to do it. I, that is a sign to me that I should 
you know, dock points from the game in my mind. Uh, yeah, I, I think that. it's, I think it games in general have a really uh, tough tightrope to walk with that because if you just make, uh, you know, every side quest just be go to the map, you know, map icon, yep. that's too easy. But then there's the other end, like this end, where there's kind of no clue and then you just have to talk to everybody and yep. that doesn't work either. I don't know what the happy medium is. I don't know um, if there is one. I mean, because yeah, you got to think about all these other games that we love, like Final Fantasy games are like, oh, did you talk to this person five times? Because that's how you get this item. It's like, oh, no, I didn't think to talk to him five times. His dialogue just repeated for the first three. So I just stopped. You yeah, know, it's like that kind of ridiculous yeah. shit. I mean, this this isn't that bad. So I'm not, you know, this isn't there are worse things. Um, and I, you know, as, as I mentioned, and you reiterated like i i didn't love the the toy like plastic character design for switch I, I but it's one of those things where if you ask me what how else would you have done it i don't have an answer really i mean i i would have maintained a cartoonish look for it but frankly like my, i remember when this game got announced i thought it was really cool and i was excited to replay the game but i didn't need a i didn't need a remake i would have been happy with that one um Again, I enjoyed my time with it, but it's not something that I really needed. Like, if you want to compare it to the Shadow of the Colossus remake, I think that's something that I liked more. Um, I mean, that's 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 a little unfair. That's, it is. It is unfair. That's like comparing apples to the planet Mars. It is. It is unfair. Um. Yeah. So, the, I guess the last thing I want to I want to mention is. And this is going back to what I started at the at the beginning of the episode. 2D Zelda games and navigation. Now, having a map that you can pull up is is great. Um, and that you can mark up. I think all Zelda games, all 2D Zelda games should have that. Um I I just I feel like navigating in a 2D Zelda world. In every Zelda game, even the ones that I like more than this one, which is really just Link Between Worlds and Oracle of Seasons. I think I like this more than Link to the Past, maybe about Tide. Um, I just, I, I think it's frustrating. And, and maybe I'm just saying that from the perspective of an adult who, as we've mentioned countless times in this podcast, like we have less time than we used to. We want to get through games quickly. Obviously, we can look up stuff and strategy guys, but I'm trying to take a step back and look at it from the perspective of someone who doesn't want to look up where things are. Um, again, there's, you, there's only so much you can do, right? In a 2D environment, you're, you're limited. But when you don't have, when you only have the ability to kind of look beyond like the horizon and see like, oh, there's an area over there. Um, you're limited to what's on your screen within that frame at all times. And you can't look at a 3D environment to see what's ahead, what's like adjacent to you. It's just, I think there's something about it that doesn't age well in my mind. I have a strong amount of nostalgia for it. Um, but if, you know, it's not, that's not to say that if you gave me a new 2D Zelda game right now from the ground up, new game, just meant to evoke all the nostalgia that you had, you bet your ass I'd play it. Um, would I have some of those same frustrations um, with whatever new game they made? I, I feel like in some ways almost guaranteed. I mean, there's only so much you can do 
in a 2D world, even with today's graphics and and all that. And I, I think, and when I say this frustration, I don't think it's like a, it's not an overwhelming frustration. I'm not just sitting there in rage mode. It's just, there's something different about the 2D environment for a Zelda game that I find just, it, it, I think it makes some of the games slog just a little bit, or it just, it, there's an element of, um, I don't know. There's just like a weakness, I feel, um, to, to, to each of those games because of that. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think that in every game, um, what happens from when, like point A to point B um, is even if what happens at point A and point B are both really satisfying and enjoyable, if the in-between of getting to those two points is kind of dog shit or there's not much to do, it's going to drag down the experience. Yeah. Um, I think that's been the case for Zelda historically. I think they try their best uh, to like incentivize like being out in the world, like they hide stuff and they do things like that. But I don't think really until Breath of the Wild, they really solve the idea of like making exploration this like itself the game. Mm -hmm. Whereas in all these early games, especially the 2D ones, exploration was like the means to an end. Like I have to explore in this 2D space to get to like the dungeons and the puzzles and the things that I like. Whereas finally in breath of the wild, they could do so much and they had so much at their disposal technically that I think that was the first Zelda where like the exploration itself became uh, like an enjoyable gameplay element. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone, unless you were like 10 in 1996, like we were, well, no eight, but (laughs) uh, like traversing Hyrule field in Ocarina doesn't feel good. Like I have a lot of nostalgia for that because it was so mind blowing at the time. Yeah. But like navigating really any Zelda game, like in the field part from like one till I would argue Skyward Sword. It's not great. Like that's not the fun part. I sort of agree with that. There is a like Wind Waker has such an overwhelming amount of nostalgia for it that I would just sail on empty water all day and probably not get tired. Of well, it. you have <laughs> some severe emotional problems. Well, I would say I don't. I love that game. We should do it sometime. Yeah. Um, I think like, another good example to the 2D, 3D point is that when I'm, if I'm like wandering around a 3D Zelda environment and I see like a cliff out, off in the distance that has a piece of heart on it and I can't get to it now, I can, I can tell just by looking at the environment or I maybe make an attempt and I realize I can't do it. Maybe it's something that I have to come back and get like three hours from now when I have a better item. I'm going to remember where that is and like where I need to go back to much more easily than just like a, a, a screenshot of a cave that has like three rocks, uh, a pit and a piece of heart on the other side of the rocks in a, in a 2D Zelda game. So, I mean, that to that end, having the ability to mark up a map and say, oh, oh yeah, there's a piece of heart in this cave, like, that's essential. But back yeah. in the day when you had to be like, where, I, I remember so many times where I could picture a piece of heart or a seashell or whatever, and, and, and not just in this Zelda game, but in others, where it's just like, I, 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 there's a cave, they're all brown, there's rocks, there was a piece of heart on a ledge, and like, I do not remember where the hell that was at all i think it also goes into uh the idea of like game design back then which like i i don't know if it was a feature or a bug i think to them it was a feature 
but especially for handheld games, just making them like needlessly obtuse and difficult, mm-hmm. um, which was a thing they did in old school games, knowing that, especially when like video game rental uh, took off, because they would want kids to rent the same games like week after week after week. I think like, I, I don't know, but I have a feeling that Nintendo may have like left um, navigation purposely vague, knowing that like it would it would make the player basically be forced to play the game more Um, because again like we've said when you know where to go and who to talk to you can beat this game in probably like three hours really yeah i mean if you're not trying 100 percent it maybe some of my frustrations are coming from the perspective of someone who wants to collect everything no i mean i think some of them are but i definitely agree with you that i think the the mapping and finding things like finding your way is a little obtuse and this map isn't really even that big it's not Um, but i think it's i think it's a problem of kind of a lot of 2d zeldas you know before um link between worlds i think that kind of nailed it um not as well as breath of the wild but for a 2d zelda i think they did a pretty good job um but i think part of it was just you know we can make this island kind of really confusing to get around because kids will buy this they will play this there's nothing else for them to play they will play this game for 15 hours you know if that's what it takes for them to find you know their next step on the item trading and and i don't want to go too far down this other tangent that I'm about to say, but I think, and it got me thinking when I was getting ready to to do this episode, do I feel the same way about 2d games of other of that same sort of era? And the two I thought of in particular were Metroidvania ask, I mean, quite literally super Metroid and Castlevania symphony of the night. I think exploration in those is more manageable than it is in a, in a 2d Zelda game, or at least to me, the frustration goes away a little bit. Sure. In both games, you kind of have to whack random ass walls to find bonus items. Um, but I think there is like a theming of the areas. There's just something I, I wouldn't be able to put it into words, but there's something visually about that game that I think it's easier to remember where you've been, where you need to go. Maybe it's because the games are kind of more arranged vertically. Right. Um, right. It's, I don't know. There's, there's something about it. Maybe, maybe it's just the top down aspect that, that I find a little frustrating. I mean, I think that in, I didn't think about this before the episode, but I, if I think about like, you know, the top down nature of old final fantasy games, granted you played more of those than I have, but I don't know there's there's a little bit there's an emphasis on, on exploration, but it's, it's a different type of exploration than Zelda games. Um, and I don't know if I've always felt that same frustration um, playing Final Fantasy games. But anyway, I don't I, I digress a little bit too much. No, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. Um, I I think it's I think it's a product of the era. Um, I think it's yeah. I I. I at the end of the day, though, I mean, would you recommend this game to someone that hadn't played it? 100%. And, right, which would be my answer, too. I think you would come up against some archaic design choices. I think navigation may be a bit of a headache. I think it's alleviated by the fact that you can kind of look stuff up online. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly. Yeah, but but if you go into this, um, go in, like, if if the only Zelda game you played is Breath of the Wild and you jump to this, you're going to have a hard time. Absolutely. You might not, you might not really appreciate it in the way that I think it should be appreciated. Um, but if you go into it knowing that it's a old school 
very competently, very lovingly crafted uh, Zelda game that's you know pretty manageable lengthwise, then I think you're going to have a pretty decent time. I agree. And again, this is this is a recommendation for me. Um, yeah. No matter what, uh, I, I might say some of the things that you just said. You know, it's like, well, you know, depending on what that person's played, who I'm recommending it to, I might be able to tell if they're going to have a frustrating time with this game or not. But I would still. Describe, I would still say it's a recommendation for me, without a doubt. It's yeah. a Zelda game. It's it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. I, yeah, exactly. I mean, even it's like Mario. Even when a Mario game isn't like stellar, it's still it's good. Yeah. Um. All right. But if we were to let's say uh, we are big, we are Hollywood big shots, right? Let's let's say let's those say fat, those fat cats are dropping like flies. So let's say we seize our moment. And finally, to the big screen, we have The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Um, what does that movie look like in your mind? Who, well, uh, who we cast in? Obviously, this? the first role we're casting is Taryn. Because who, <laughs> who else could we possibly want well, than okay, Bob can, Hoskins to play Taryn? Well, I, yes. But here's, here's something I think we should get out of the way right away. <laughs> yeah. Is this going to be live action, um, animated, or claymation? I mean... Oh, right. Yeah. Right? I, I love that you said that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, jokes about Bob Hoskins aside, uh, this, this has got to be animated. But but if and I and claymations under that umbrella, um, I would love to see this clay, claymation. And, oh, yeah. and I think that there's a there's a trippiness to the move to the game, like this dreamlike element to the game that I think you could you could do a lot with with the claymation. I just think it's, it would be a nice way to mix up expectations. And it's, and it's a type, it's a type of thing where it's like, if I finally saw an animated Zelda movie, like the first, let's say the first Zelda thing we ever get in this world movie wise is a claymation adaptation of this game. I would not be disappointed. I, I would be so confused as to what, who made that decision, but I would be very receptive to it. Like, you know what? Just, you're not testing the waters with with some like silly, you know, DreamWorks animated like Mario movie. You're just be like, we're gonna make a claymation Zelda movie. Hell yeah, I'm in. <laughs> um, yeah, I would definitely go like a Henry Selleck um, claymation movie. I would do. Um, I'm gonna go Freddie Highmore as the voice of Link. Okay. How do you feel about that? Have you been How watching you something with Freddie Highmore in it recently? No, I haven't. Uh, I did see like a YouTube video, like where the tagline was something about the Good Doctor, and I do have coworkers that watch the Good Doctor. Okay. Uh, I haven't really seen him anything since Bates Motel, uh, but he's a great actor. I think he would be like a good soft-spoken little claymation Link. I'm good with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely for for Marin. Let's what, let uh, give me something in like a Zendaya. What's Zendaya doing? Well, <laughs> like she's in this movies. What she's doing? She's yeah, uh, yeah, she's making tons yeah. and tons of money. Uh, I'm gonna say the you know as, what is Marin the win, the Winfish. I'm gonna say Martin Short. That it, you are on a roll. First clay, <laughs> claymation. My goodness. The, the, I can't. Not, I don't even know if I want to come up with a better one than that. <laughs> yeah. I, I was. I was. I would have thought. Um, my my inclination was to go like one of those like deep Hollywood voices. Like, not. I'm not saying like Morgan Freeman or Denzel type deep. Just like someone that plays maybe serious roles. 
like an Alan but, Rickman. But yeah, but yeah, but you saying Martin Short instantly made me realize that that is what it has to be. It has to be a little something a little bit more goofy. However, however, I all see the 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 type of vibe you're getting from Martin Short for that role is the kind of vibe I would expect from, in addition to or alternatively, the owl. Ooh. Okay. I, I, I'm picturing the owl younger, like the windfish is old and wise. I'm the owl. I'm picturing like a Seth Rogen type. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't want his a, voice. What about in a Jonah movie. Hill? What about a Jonah Hill? Jonah Hill can work. Yeah. Jonah Hill yeah. can work. Although I think up to this point, like Martin Short has a recognizable voice, but it's not like Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen. You're like, geez, I've been watching stoner comedies with mm, these guys voices yeah. and these guys yeah. presence for the last like decade i give me something new give me something different give me a, what about give me give me give me an adam mm. scott what about adam scott that's that's fine i'm fine with yeah. that although he's also pretty recognizable yeah i i love so freddie highmore and martin short despite how famous martin short is i just think that martin short is in, in, inspired casting um and like, you know, it was in Daya, despite the fact that it's in Daya, I would, I would argue that a lot of people who play, who have played Zelda Link's Awakening would not immediately know what Zendaya sounds like. I so would I, imagine I, that, I many, would like, that many people watching the movie would have a sexual awakening to Zendaya. Quite possibly. It would be Link's Awakening and their latent sexual awakening so, so, to the features of Zendaya. and nothing stunts a sexual awakening like jonah hill and seth rogan's voices so i would pro- probably yeah. make someone a little bit less yeah. known though i've been trying to like think about who that would be um and i can't Ooh, you know what i okay here's here's uh maybe chris who, pine no 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 no. here's who we here's who we get for the owl are you ready for this i'm ready james broadbent I, old jimmy broads yeah, yeah you gotta yeah, get him yeah. in this movie absolutely yeah. i that's that would be and, and in some in some universes i could see just swapping jim broadbent and martin short though i still prefer martin short as the windfish yeah um that's that's great i love that what about a, a what about a black-haired heavily mustachioed james marsden as uh as as taryn you know I, that could that could work um he's bordering on that well, actually, no. His just his voice. If it was it was visually, I would say no. Um, just, he's not you know he's not an A lister, but like you, you could recognize him. I think his voice. That's the kind of voice where you're like, who is the voice? I know I've heard that before. And you look it up on IMDb, you're like, oh, James Martin. Oh, heavily mustachioed James. He grew a mustache to prepare for this yeah, role, even though yeah. you wouldn't see him on camera. Yeah, I admire that. That's the kind of that's the kind of um, half-assed method acting that you kind of get from James <laughs> Martin. Um, have we had the conversation of is James Marsden Marsden a good actor or not? We have had that conversation. Yeah, you want to have it yeah. again right now? Uh, no, we don't have to relitigate it. Okay. Um, he's he's a popular actor. I think we can agree. I think uh, we agree that. that he is not a good actor, but that at least I am he's a not upset actor. when he's when he shows up. He's a likable actor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think. We um, do you want to live on Koholint? 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 Do you want to live on this island? I feel like you'd get really bored pretty quickly. Yeah, because it, unless you're in the village, it's a lot of monsters that are yeah. going to seemingly kill you. Yeah. Um, and then too, there's the idea that you are just the figment of a uh, young Freddie Highmore's dream, which I I'm always prepared that I could be the figment of Freddie Highmore's dream, um, just at really any moment. Or his waking but, nightmare. 
Oh, listen, <laughs> listen, uh, there are some court records to show that I am at Freddie Highmore's waking nightmare. Um, but yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not into it. I'm not, not, in, not into living. Yeah. There. Same. Yeah. So for the new segment. Yeah. I love this segment. Uh, what, why don't what, you introduce it? Yeah. What, what is this for? You know, if, if you're tuning in to this episode and didn't catch the last one, we've introduced a new segment and it is what would this world look like as a kingdom hearts level? Now we are aware that we might be alienating people who do not, who have not played kingdom hearts and we have decided we don't care. Um, Listen, if you don't know the difference between Brag and Luxord, get the fuck out of get here. Get the fuck out of here. So categories. Wait, we got we got a couple things to discuss. This is exciting. I'm so excited. Um, first, we got wait, we what does this what does this level look like? Tell me what this level looks like. All right, I have it all laid out. So um, it's going to be called either Kaholnet Island or you could call it like the wind fishes rest or whatever. What they would, they, it's one of those things where you're, you're like, what are they going to call the Zelda world? Oh, of course they're going to call it what it is. And then they don't because yeah, Nomura be is, like, is be like insane. wind fishes rest or yeah. something stupid. Um, so you would go there and then I'm imagining that the plot would involve the heartless trying to corrupt the wind fishes egg. And mm. then you having to, you know, stop it. I'm imagining there's going to be an organization 13 member, you know, causing trouble there around the island. Um, maybe Marin gets gets captured and corrupted by the darkness and only the power of friendship can save her. I don't know. That would definitely happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I am imagining uh, there would be a pretty sweet like windfish uh, heartless hybrid as the boss. Yeah. Um, which would be pretty cool. Um, I'm imagining the keyblade that you get from finishing this world. Here's what I have. It's called the Dream Song, and the then name. the the keyblade, the the blade part is made up of like the like the various instruments during okay. this time on the island. The end part is either one of the instruments or the actual like shape of the windfish itself, because uh, it almost looks like like a little like scythe blade or like a little uh, thing like that. And I then like the, the the actual keychain would obviously be the windfish egg. I, I went that's that is the obvious one. I don't know why I didn't think of that. My keyblade I, I called the Guardian's Ballad. Uh oh, and God. it is a musical note with a fish at the end instead Ooh. of the usual dot. And I had the chain chomp as the chain, which is little oh. it, 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 little it's silly. I mean, because it's Mario, but it also kind of represents the game. I you know, I, I kind of had similar things for you when you were, when you were thinking about the story. Um, I imagined, um, and this isn't necessarily what I'd want to see, but it's something, you know, when has Nomura done what we want? Um, Sora helps Link with the trading card with, 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 or with the trading game Ooh, and then to get the final yeah. instrument or something like that. Yes, like it, it'd be yes, something yes. kind of underwhelming and this you know what I, here's an impromptu doesn't have to be its own segment but this is like a how would nomura fuck up this world and and can, make it totally no. not in line with your expectations okay can i can and i I've, tell you i've got one I, already i i've got one i know exactly what it would be okay um so they would announce kingdom hearts 4 they're gonna be N- nintendo worlds right everyone's gonna go everyone's gonna lose their fucking minds yep and they announce uh link or uh link's awakening world it's gonna be this and it turns out the world is a rafting mini game oh my that that's not where i was going with it but that would be arguably worse than the one i'm thinking of i'm thinking of 
So you're, you're excited to be on Colon Island, right? Yeah. You just, all you know is that there's going to be a Link's Awakening world in it. You're, you're, you're getting excited. And the end will just be, the end result will be you're in the egg the entire time. And you're in the, sa- the same aesthetic, every single area, just kind of like the Monstro, oh. but worse of this game. Like, not, I, I'm not, I'm not, like, I got missed opportunity, in my opinion, with the Monstro um, element of Kingdom Hearts. I would have liked to have explored that, like, crazy island that they go to in Pinocchio. Uh, um, well, my friend, cigars. well, uh, they do in Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. Well, I didn't play Dream Drop Distance, oh. but that's good to hear. Um, you didn't yeah, play it. You didn't play it yet. No, I didn't play it yet. Uh, but no, yeah. Um, I could see myself getting very excited for for you know, oh, the Zelda Island. Like there's this and this and this, and it's just like to some half-assed plot where Sora ends up in the egg, links in the egg, looking for Marin, who he's lost. Marin got captured by that you know windfish, or you know. Uh, what do you call them? Heartless hybrid that you described. And it's just like, a, let's go save Marin. And can I add, a, can, I add a, can I add another depressing underwhelming thing they would of, do? Of always. Yeah. It would be the level would be the windfish egg. Every room you would go in, it would just, it would be something, some stupid shit about the windfish egg would be showing them their memories. Yes. Sora's and links. And that's how you would sing link story. And then for Sora's, it would be them showing you the same scenes from kingdom hearts. One, two, and chain of memories, and you would probably refight the same bosses. Yeah, wait, is, uh, is, and that is, would be Kingdom Hearts three not canon in, in this? No, example. Kingdom Hearts three is never canon. <laughs> um, it's like Dark Souls three; they're both not canon. Oh, um, yeah. but yeah, it would like it would it, the the world would be you re like reliving the events of Kingdom Hearts one, Chain of Memories, and two again, because mm-hmm. apparently that series thinks those are the only games that exist, and all the only thing that matters. <laughs> I love it. I mean, uh, the, we, I think we probably do have to add like a how would Nomura let us down? I'm yeah, I'm just I'm angry thinking about it. <laughs> oh, uh, you didn't say uh, where the key uh, hole. Oh, would be. well, obviously the keyhole would be in the heart of the windfish egg. A- agreed. Yeah. No other place to put it. Unless, of course, the level doesn't take place in the windfish egg or have anything to do with the windfish. And it takes place entirely in the telephone house or entirely on the rafting rapids mini. Game. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, so I searched high and low for interesting Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening fan fiction. Uh, and I'm going to be honest, I kind of failed. I did um, too. I did not fail to find Zelda fan fiction. There was more Zelda fan fiction than you could, you know, shake a stick at sideways. Um, but like specific Link's Awakening, really the only stuff I found was uh, inappropriate stuff. Well, not, I mean, not inappropriate. Listen, let's be there's, sex positive. Yeah, but there's um, always, there's always that. not, not safe for work, sexually related content involving Link and Marin. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, come on. Uh, let's think outside the box on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not a lot of like Link's Awakening specific. I did find a couple. Did you find anything? Uh, I didn't find were, anything like, worth noting. Yeah. The only thing, the, the big thing I found is like novelizations of the game. Yeah, Which, that's a very common one. That and like sexual fantasies are like the two most common forms of fan fiction I find for. Yeah, these it's it's definitely yeah, it's it's a lot of those two things. I'm always I'm on the lookout for like weird crossovers and um, Kingdom Hearts uh, things of that nature. Um, you know, I won't turn down like a weird sex one, but especially when it's like Link and Marin. I don't know. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. 
Um, I did find two things um, that I thought were uh, kind of interesting. Um, so the first one is something I've never seen before. And I don't know if this is a genre um, that exists, um, but it is called um, The Legend of Zelda. It is by, sorry, no, 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 it is not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, it is called Mr. Windfish, Bring Me a Dream, Make Him the Fastest Hero mm -hmm. I've Ever Seen. Um, and it is, again, correct me if I've seen, if, if you've seen this before, because I haven't. Um, it is a Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening speedrun novelization. I do not think I've ever heard of that. So it is, it's very strange. It's not very long. But it's basically but it's basically like someone writing out like kind of a novelization of the game, but it's not like narrative in terms of like the reality of Link and Marin being real people like okay. engaging with each other. It's like um, let me just read it. Link woke up in a strange bed with a girl standing next to him speaking Japanese texts. He wasn't looking out of his eyes either, but out of some point above him. So it was another quest then. Um, let's see. He got to where his sword washed up. He hit himself on an urchin and shielded to get close to the sword just as an owl flew by to deliver more text that he ignored. Once the text was over, the sword was his again. He killed the urchin in celebration. So it's just describing narratively the mechanics of playing through the game and the tricks that you would use in a speed run. I think what we should do is learn how to speed run the game or watch a speed run. Find any details that are described in this novel that you do not need or you specifically need to, to pass by in order to speed run the game effectively contact the author and tell them to get rid of it. <laughs> um, I, I agree to that. Can you think of a better use of your time? Um, you know, I was like about to crack the cure for cancer, but I'll put, oh, it, to the side. put it, put it on, put it on hold. Yeah. yeah. Um, then the only other one I found was uh, it's, it's just called Marin. Um, and this one is a very short vignette. Uh, and it's just basically about Link having a dream about Marin, and then he wakes up, and then the memory disappears. Um, but I like that it imagines that Link wakes up every morning to a kettle whistling with tea. Um, that, to me, is the, the detail that stands out the most. Link does not seem like a tea drinker. Um, it seems like he drinks, like, mysterious berry juice and spring water. Yeah. Um, That's and, basically but, tea, though. But yeah, but that's it. It's it was just basically those two. The speed run fan fiction I was deeply uh, fascinated by. Mm -hmm. uh, the internet never fails to create things that uh, both simultaneously should not exist, but of course they do exist. Yeah. Um. So that was fun to find. Yeah, it was d disappointing that there wasn't more. Um... I, I will say, considering the cast of characters in this game. 
there's not a lot to them, but they each have like one strong personality type. Yeah. So it was kind of surprised that there wasn't well, more um like kind of playing around in this world. Well, here's, like fan here's, sandbox. here's why I'm especially disappointed. I didn't put a whole lot of thought into what my fan fiction would be, but I came up with an idea that I would immediately have loved to read about and was shocked to find that it didn't already exist. I wrote it down. I'm like, I'm going to find this. And I didn't. Just do an Inception type crossover. Dream within a dream. Mm. Like have the characters from Inception just trying to help Link wake up or trying to do something like Incept Link to like figure out where he needs to go next. I don't know. Interesting. Something um, like that. I mean, come on. Come on, people. I, yeah. I, I'm having I Link like, fuck Marin and do something creative. See, here's what I like. I mean, speaking of Inception. Something I kind of like would that would be fun to explore is kind of near the end of the game where Link starts realizing that the whole island is a dream. And if he wakes the, the wind fish, the dream will end. I think it'd be fun to write a fan fiction where like, just like Inception, like the dream kind of turns on him mm-hmm. um, and the Islanders all kind of become hostile and um, like aggressive and maybe only Marin stays nice to him. Um, I think that would be kind of cool. It'd be kind of almost like a zombie apocalypse story with the villagers kind of going berserk to defend the dream. Yeah um that's about it i I don't really i think this does a nice job of being its own little self-contained story and self-contained world i don't think we need like the Link's awakening extended universe uh but i did think there'd be like a room for a fun little story like that yeah where's the Link's awakening cinematic extended universe i know right now really my biggest takeaway from all this is where is the claymation adaptation of (laughs) in a heartbeat give it to me i would watch in a heartbeat um speaking of watching um i think that's Link's awakening right yeah no i think we wrapped it up uh i think we wrapped up our our summation go play it um if you can find it for a price drop on switch do it you won't because it's a nintendo game uh (laughs) but if if for whatever fact, it'll probably be increased yeah they'll add a feature for whatever reason you can get it for less than 60 i i say buy it and play it um but in terms of watching what have you been watching or playing or reading or um sudokuing this week well i'm gonna even though i think i already mentioned it i'm just gonna not mention the game i'm playing for an episode uh because we got that string of episodes coming up where we're gonna be uh doing our specific recommendations for each other um it's our summer summer series of personal recommendations if you want you want to record a um a better uh name for it than that and i could just edit it in over what you just said <laughs> i'm gonna say we leave this and we this will this will be like a work it'll this is the brainstorming <laughs> this is how it works yeah okay? we'll have a better name you know for it. Rough draft, there's nothing wrong with a rough draft yeah um so i've been playing that game um i'm still addicted to binding of isaac i don't need to really go into that um I think that's kind of all I've been, I'm trying to only focus on playing those two games. Uh, I did go play a little bit more Dark Souls 3 because I kind of feel like I, I honestly, ever since I started playing Dark Souls games, I feel like I always need to be playing one. Uh, I'm getting into that mode with uh, JRPGs now. Um, I recently beat Bravely Default 2. It took me about 70 hours um, and I definitely... There's a lot of end game content I just didn't even do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really, really, really good game. It is one of the very few games I've ever thought about 100%ing. Because um, I'm like, well, like I'm at 70 hours now. It would probably take me like another 20 to 100% it. Probably. But, um, I didn't. I think you would love it. 
Uh, I think it, I, I probably think one would. Day, yeah, one day you will play it. I think it's definitely worth your time. Um, I have moved on to Octopath Traveler, a game that I started before that I really liked, um, but just kind of fell away from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time I'm definitely going to be sticking with it. Uh, I am almost through recruiting every character from chapter one. And I remember pretty much all of them, but I'm glad I'm playing again from the beginning mm-hmm. um, because there are like little things that I definitely would have forgotten. I absolutely adore the way that game looks. And I, I really like that game overall. I think there are some very obvious criticisms and fair criticisms, criticisms of that game, but I very much enjoyed it. Don't regret basically hundred percenting it. I think I put a hundred hours into it. Um, don't regret that at all. I, the art style, as we mentioned earlier in this episode, is just phenomenal. Give me a Final Fantasy VI remake oh, with God. those graphics, and I would lose my shit. I would rather, I would much rather have that than a 3D version of the full like FF7 remake esque version of Final Fantasy VI. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I I do think I would like Bravely Default, maybe even love it, and I and and that's the tragedy of. JRPGs in my life is that I feel like there's so many JRPGs that is going to take are going to take me so long to play, or I may never get to them that I that I would really love. There are certain games that I'll buy that I will distract me, and I will force myself to beat them. And I'm not saying like even if I hate the game, like if I hate the game, I'm not gonna not gonna finish it. Um, but like you know, near Automata. I enjoyed it. I thought it was very cool, very stylish. Love the music. Put it down just because I needed something different. I need to be playing something different. And then that kind of snowballed. And now I'm back needing to play that again. And I'm going to try to revisit it because I think it's a game that I will like. I just need to find the time to get back to it. But there's a whole lot of JRPGs like Bravely Default 2, Xenoblade Chronicles, Dragon Quest Eleven, like I, I want to play all these types of games. I know I started Nino Cooney. Yeah. I, I saw you about playing that, and I was like, shit, I gotta play Nino Cooney too. But Nino Cooney, Nino Cooney, one you played one. No, sorry, I need to play Nino Cooney also. Gotcha. Um, because I also pre-ordered two for Switch. Um, one is really good. One is really, really hard. Did That's you know what that I've it's heard? Really hard. Yeah, I, I've been warned about that, and and that was actually one of the reasons I ended up picking up near automata instead of that game because I was not in the mood to play a hard JRPG. I kind of wanted something that I could cruise through with relative ease. Yeah. 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 Not to say I couldn't do that. It's just hard, but in a different way. Yeah. I mean, and when I say, I don't want like, I don't necessarily want a really, really easy game, but it, you know, I'm, I'm finding that I'm willing to do a lot of things just to kind of get through a game a little bit faster, just to experience it. And it really depends. Like some games I want to, I want the full challenge, but like persona five strikers, I turned down the game to easy mode for, cause you can just toggle it on and off whenever you want. I would turn down, turn it to easy mode in a couple sequences just to get them through, get to get through them a little faster. Oh, so you didn't actually beat the game. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How dare you? No, I'm kidding. I just <laughs> full up give, yeah. give up games and watch the ending on YouTube because Sekiro can suck a dick. Well, anyway. Okay. Oh, but um, wait, but I but I watched something that I want to tell you about. Oh, yes, please. I watched The Green Knight. And yes, 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 yes. I, I thought it was excellent. I desperately want to see it. 
Um, I was even going to suggest that we should, I wasn't going to say a word about it other than it was excellent. Cause I, it sounded like a movie that you would want to see. And I was already going to say, maybe we should do it for this podcast. Yeah. I desperately want to see the green Knight. Um, have been planning on it, have been purposely avoiding any hearing, hearing Good. anything about it. And, do um, that. All I've heard is that it's very good. That's all I want to know. Um, I really, really, really like Dev Patel as an actor. I think he's incredible. I agree. Um, A24, pretty much anything they, they anything. Uh, pop out, I will watch. Yeah, I'm very excited for it. So Yes, I'm very excited to talk to you about it. Maybe for this podcast, maybe not. Yes. Either way, yes. highly recommend it. Um, other than that, I'm watching One Piece for the first time. I think I mentioned that last episode. And I am now re-watching Jujutsu Kaisen because I adore it where so uh where in one piece are you early uh like episode 35 what's uh what's going on for the old straw hat gang uh well they got sanji probably about five episodes ago and now they are with the fishmen and nami trying to get her back mm. she's kind of revealed that she is a leader of that crew of fishmen pirates uh- uh, that is my favorite arc. Uh, is it of, really? Yeah, of that manga slash anime before. My brother said that that's a great oh. arc too, so I'm, it, I'm yeah, looking forward to it. I, it's a, I thought yeah, this that's a very good arc. I like Sanji as a character. I think I'm going to like him a lot. Um, I thought that the it went on a little bit too long in classic shonen fashion um, to get him to be part of the crew. I thought that like they were at that floating restaurant for like 20 episodes, it seemed. Oh, buddy, just you. Wait. Yeah, that's what I hear. So, yeah, but that's it. All right, well, go watch One Piece. I, I actually will. I'm going to go do yeah. that uh, soon. Well, I'm going to play uh, Octopath Traveler, so. I'm very excited. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you're going to end up beating the final, final, final boss. I don't know if that counts as, as like towards 100%ing if you just want to beat the main game. But there is a final, final, final boss that you do not have to beat. Um, I, I recommend you do because I, it the story, it, it starts to connect all of their stories in a way that the game doesn't really attempt to do earlier. So I think from a story perspective, it's worth doing, though it is a very classic JRPG challenge where it's like beat a ton of bosses in a row and then beat this final boss all in one go and you can't save in between. It's one of those. Uh, well, I have the next three weeks off of work. So, well, uh, if, if, if ever I was going to, my other plan during break was to rewatch every single Marvel Cinematic Universe film. So we'll see how that goes. Good luck. Yeah. Thank Maybe you. We'll do one of those for this podcast. No.